0: Now, we are so glad you guys are here today, and I want to say welcome to my LaGrange campus. I miss you guys this morning. But it is good to be here, isn't it? For those of you who aren't here, who are watching us online, I want to say welcome to you as well. And I think it's really cool that you might be on vacation or you're home, but you're watching us live. And I think that's pretty awesome that you would take that time to, to join us and be part of what we're doing here, even though you're not here. You know, God is doing great things through this sermon series, and and I love this so much. You know, Trey was telling us earlier that that Pastor Sean's in England, and he gets the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with people in a whole other country. And that's just a, a great way that we can continue to show our faith and our love in Christ. And so I'm pretty pumped about that. Please remember them in your prayers throughout the week. Uh, For safety, but also that lives are changed forever. The whole reason we do missions is to see life change. And and that's what we want to accomplish and see today as well. But today is the fourth week of our series at the lake. And uh, last week, I I love the message that Pastor Sean gave. Did a great job talking to us about the feeding of the 5,000. He pointed out that the size of your only never determines God's ability offer God your only and watch what he'll do with it. I mean, the disciples only had five loaves of bread and two fish, but God fed thousands of people. And that is what he wants to do. He wants to do miracles. And so much of his ministry was done at the lake. And it's exciting that we get to continue that today. We're going to talk a little bit about how you respond when you fail God. And I know that's kind of a weird thing, but we all fail at some time. All of us in our life have had a time when we failed. And and learning how to deal with that failure and how to face it is something I want to share with you today. But uh, let me start off by sharing with you some some famous failures. Uh, Steven Spielberg, some of you may have heard of him before. uh, His cinematic output has grossed more than $9 billion and brought him three Academy Awards. But the master of the blockbuster was rejected twice by the University of Southern California's C- Cinematic Arts Department. Thomas Edison. In what might be one of the most discouraging statements from a teacher ever, Thomas Edison was told by his teacher that he was just too stupid to learn anything. Edison went on to hold more than 1,000 patents and created the phonograph and the electrical light bulb. Walt Disney. All of us love some Disney. Can you imagine your childhood without Disney? Some of you can't imagine vacation without Disney. But Disney could have easily not have happened if he would have believed his first editor who told him that he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Or Albert Einstein. His name is synonymous with intelligence, yet it always wasn't that way for Albert as a child, he didn't start speaking until he was four years old, which as a parent, some of us are like, can all of our kids not start talking to their four? Um, he didn't start reading until he was seven, and he was thought to be mentally handicapped. But he went on to win a Nobel Prize and, and change the way we think about physics. Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president, his failures were very broad and very numerous. He's one of the few people who, when he entered war as a captain, came out as a private. He was demoted several times while he was a soldier. He next tried several business ventures, all of which failed. And then he threw his hat in the political ring, which he failed quite a few times, but as we know, he eventually became our president. Or Theodore Seuss Geisel, also known as Dr. Seuss. He took his book, his first book to 27 different publishers. All of them told him no, it was not good. Well, that book that was not good enough for them sold over 600 million copies. And finally, Elvis Presley. He was told, "You ain't going nowhere, son. You ought to go back to driving a truck." These are the words that he was told after his first performance at the Grand Ole Opry, after which he was promptly fired. Disposing of the keys to the truck, Presley went on to become the world's biggest star with a legacy that still endures. Now, my failures may not be as well known as these guys' failures, but I guarantee you I do have them. I have failed God many times. Actually, I probably already failed him this morning. But God's love for us is great. You know, I remember when I attended my sister's graduation from college. Joe was two and a half years old at the time, and and we went off on a daddy-daughter adventure. Uh, We went off to South Carolina to see my sister graduate, and Angie was 38 weeks pregnant with our second child, Candace, and she was advised by the doctors not to leave LaGrange. Now, she didn't have the baby while I was gone. That was not the failure. But um, Joe and I went up the night before the graduation to hang out with the family, and, and I was doing pretty good, I thought. We went to dinner that night, and Joe actually ate food well, um, if you've ever been anywhere with your parents and you take your children, they always critique how well your kids eat. Anybody ever notice that? It's like, you want to make sure they ate well. So she ate well. We got back to the hotel. I got her in bed. I, I felt pretty good. Daddy wasn't doing too shabby, you know? He was doing a good job. The next morning, we got up and get ready to go to the graduation. Um, I remember how proud I was that I fixed Joe's hair. Pigtails with bows. And it only took me 45 minutes. I was was doing good. Uh, The graduation went fine. And and afterwards, we all gathered around my sister to congratulate her. I remember my brother picking up Joe and and placing her up on his shoulders. Uh, The proud uncle with his niece. Uh, This this is when the failure happened. As I mentioned, Joe was two and a half. And we had recently just potty trained Joe. Joe. And if you've ever potty trained a child before, you know it's important to take them to the bathroom regularly. They don't necessarily have the skills needed to tell you, hey, in about 10 minutes, I'm probably gonna have to go to the bathroom so if we can start looking for one. So there my brother stood with my daughter on his shoulders and her peeing all over his neck and his back. As a father, I had failed. On the other hand, as a brother... Yeah, epic victory right here Yes, yes indeed But if any of you ever had an experience like that Where you're trying so hard to do everything right And then you fail What do you do then and and how do you recover from that? Well, the first week of our At the Lake series Pastor Sean shared with us how Jesus first called his disciples Now today we're going to look at a second calling That is strikingly similar to the first It's almost like disciple deja vu. So today, we're going to look at a second calling that's strikingly similar to the first. It's kind of like disciple deja vu. The difference with this calling is Jesus has already spent three years teaching his disciples. He's he's actually already died, rose from the dead, and then he comes and calls his disciples again. But this second calling that he does is about restoration, Now, the dictionary defines restoration as the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. Now, when we have a relationship with Jesus, our enemy, the devil, will do everything he can to keep us from following him. He'll distract us, tempt us. He'll even lie to us. And all of this causes us to fail in our relationship with God. You know, Satan wants to remind us Of our sinful nature. But God wants to restore us to Himself, to bring us back into relationship with Him. So when we fail, that doesn't surprise God. He he knew we would fail. But He's not as concerned about our failures as He is our response to those failures. And so if you have your Bible app or your Bible, you can turn with me to John 21. We're gonna kind of park there for today. And let me give you a little bit of background before we get to that passage. If you know the story of the crucifixion at all, uh, Peter, before the crucifixion, had told Jesus, no matter what anybody else will do, I will always stand by your side. I will never leave you. I am here for the long haul. But Jesus looked at him and said, i tell you what, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will actually have denied me three times. And Peter's like, nah, I ain't going to do that. Well, then guess what happened? Peter denies Jesus three times. And a rooster crows. And and he is devastated. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us when the rooster crowed, Jesus looked up at Peter. Peter saw him and he just took off. But after the crucifixion, Jesus rises up from the dead. And he shows himself to the disciples. After that showing, the disciples leave Jerusalem. And that's where we're going to pick up our passage today. So John 21, starting with verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of the other disciples were together. As Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into a boat. So Simon went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now I want to pause right there, and I want to ask you a question. When you think of the disciples, what thought comes into your mind? What do you think of? You know, I used to think of the disciples as this you know, scrawny little group of men balding kind of short losing their hair glasses just kind of a a dweeby looking group if you will but then it's funny how when we read scripture we just kind of read through and we don't really think about it we just read things okay okay that's good about seven years ago i was a youth pastor and i took a group of students to a camp and i remember the skit guys were the speakers at this camp now, if you've never heard of the Skip guys, I would encourage you to go home and look them up. They're they two very funny guys, and they share a lot of humorous stories. But one of the things they taught us at this camp was to read Scripture, pause, and then think about what you just read. And not just from the, the biblical standpoint, but like the physical, actual, like, did you just read what the words you just read were? Now, that's really changed the way I read Scripture and I look at things. And I want to share with you a little bit about that today. You see, if we're to truly understand what is happening in John 21, we must pause and think about what we just read. You see, we need to understand who the disciples really were. We need a clear picture of them. Um, Now, let's take Peter, because he's my favorite disciple. Uh, Not only is he my namesake, but I also feel like I I act like him sometimes. Now, Now, Peter was a pretty impulsive guy. If you recall, when, when he heard it was Jesus, he just, he didn't even wait for the boat to get to shore. If you recall, he just threw on his shirt and he jumped in the water and swam to shore. He couldn't wait to see Jesus. Now, the catch was so heavy, we read, that the remaining six guys in the boat couldn't bring it in. So they just kind of rowed the boat ashore, dragging the net behind them. And that's what it says in scripture. It says, so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. But then Jesus tells Peter to go get some fish. So what happens? Now we just read it. Read again, verse 11. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Peter by himself just went and hauled a net ashore that six other dudes together couldn't do. Peter was a beast, again, much like myself. So I had to read, wow, that was a little too emphatic there, thanks. I had to rethink everything I'd ever read about Jesus and his disciples. I mean, they weren't this scrawny, timid group. Well, Matthew, maybe Matthew was, he was a tax collector after all. So he probably actually was balding and wearing glasses. So that's just about him. But the rest of these guys, if you recall, were all manual laborers before Jesus called them. These were strong men. But then you have Peter, and he was just massive. I mean, he was a beast of a man. And we see this other places in scripture. If you think about when Jesus was arrested in the garden, you remember a group of soldiers came to arrest Jesus? And then Peter stepped forward, he drew out a sword, and he hacked off Malchus's ear. Have you you ever thought about that story? Don't you find it odd that those soldiers didn't attack the rest of the disciples? I mean, I don't know what history you read, but usually when there's a group of soldiers and they're attacked, they retaliate and they fight back. But these guys saw Peter standing there with a sword and were like, Nope, nope. (laughs) Glad I wasn't Malchus. Because this guy was massive and he was intimidating. They didn't want any part of him and this was peter this is who jesus was after his his disciples disciples you see he wanted to restore them you see because peter oftentimes meant well but very often he didn't do well now in july my wife angie and i will be married for 17 years <clears throat> and uh, bless her. If you see her, pray for her. <clears throat> it's been 17 years. Many time in our marriage, you know, I've wanted to help out. I've wanted to kind of chip in. And so I'll come home from work and I'll just jump into doing stuff. I'll just get into like, here, I'm gonna start helping. Now, the problem with that jumping in is usually it's pretty selfish. It, I end up helping the way I want to help out. And, you know, which is usually centered on doing tasks. Here's a little checklist. I can check them off. It's, it's centered on what I can do. While these tasks eventually do need to get done, they usually aren't the most pressing thing in that moment. You see, I failed by not asking her how her day was and what's the best way I could help out. You see, she's with the kids all day, all day, getting the, I'm hungry. She touched me. I'm bored. And so many times the best way I can help her is to help with the kids. Now, I'm not talking about the, let's all go sit in front of the TV and kind of helping with the kids, but actually interacting with the kids and, and helping them not to always say I'm hungry or I'm bored, but to really spend some quality time with them. Not just doing tasks to be doing tasks, but by being thoughtful and intentional, by stepping in. You see, before Peter met Jesus, he was proud. He was arrogant, self confident, impulsive, and unreliable. But after Jesus, he was deeply humble, had an unshakable confidence in God, and unwavering faithfulness. So, then why is it important that we understand why God wants to restore us? Now, you may have heard that God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. It was very true. Well, let's look at how Peter is reinstated by Jesus. Picking up again in verse 15 of John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, I believe we need to grasp three concepts of this passage that Peter would eventually come to understand. The first concept is this, success isn't final and failure isn't fatal. Now, most of us can understand the first part easy enough, that success isn't final. We often know that success just brings on another challenge. Many times our success is a stepping block to the next test we're to face. But when it comes to failing, we usually struggle with that same concept. You see, it is so ingrained in us. We have a saying born of baseball, three strikes and you're out. And so often, that's how many opportunities we give someone else. And the sad thing is, we're not that generous to ourselves. We're often our own worst enemies. However, Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 Is one of the most precious promises of Scripture. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. The word new here is the Hebrew word hadash. It doesn't just mean again and again and again, but it means different, it means fresh. His mercy is fresh. Every morning, a clean slate to start the day. You see, when God forgives, he forgets. What's more than that is he's faithful to see us through. With our failures often come consequences. But Jesus is right there to walk through with us through those consequences, to give us the strength. You know, it reminds me of this song, uh, From the Inside Out by Hillsong. It says, A thousand times I failed, still your mercy remains. Should I stumble again, still I'm caught in your grace. A thousand times I failed. Now that's just being generous. How many times have we failed? But his mercy remains. You see, our failures are not fatal. There is a tomorrow. The second concept I think we're to take from this is that we're never to put a period where God put a comma. You know, sometimes the Lord has to hurt us in order to heal us but we're not to stay there H- have you ever broken a bone anybody ever broken a bone i've broken several and it's not fun but the bad part of breaking a bone is that sometimes they have to reset the bone in, in other words you're already in intense pain from breaking this bone and then this doctor comes up and grabs you where you're hurting really bad and like resets it in other words it's like cruel and unusual punishment that they're breaking what's already broken. But if you want it to heal correctly, that's what has to happen. And so what we see here in scripture is that Jesus asked Peter the same question three times. One time for every denial. You see, Jesus knew he wanted to reinstate Peter to what he wanted him to become. And he had to address the denial. You couldn't just gloss over it. And so three times he asks them, do you love me? So in a brilliant fashion, Jesus healed Peter by hurting Peter. If you want to be used by God, you better be willing to endure some temporal pain for eternal gain. The healing may be in the hurt. I think the last thing that Peter is going to got from this passage and something we need to look at, is that failure is an event, it is never a person. Now, this is one of the greatest tools of the enemy. He wants us to believe lies about ourselves. I remember the first time I went snow skiing. Uh, Angie and I went with some other couples uh, up to Gatlinburg for a weekend, and, and one day we decided that let's go, let's go skiing. Now, I had grown up in the snow my whole life. Grew in Michigan, Missouri. I'm used to the snow, but the only thing is it's kind of flat. So we would sled or ice skate, but I had never skied. So I remember putting those skis on for the first time, and I kind of struggled standing up, much less trying to like actually move somewhere and get somewhere. But then a couple of the guys in our group passed by and were like, come on, let's go to the top of the mountain. Now, I'm a man, which means two things. One, I do dumb things. Two, I'll do even dumber things when someone challenges me. So Off I went to the top of the mountain. Now, I can remember like being on that ski lift thinking like, how do you even get off of this? (laughs) I barely just got on skis and I'm on a lift like this is not good. Well, we got off and we're standing at the top of the mountain. And I remember looking down the slope and I was starting to get really nervous. And then one of the guys called out, hey, we'll see you at the bottom. Now, I don't know if it was all the clothes I had on, but I must have misunderstood them. Because I, think he, I thought he said, go down the hill on your bottom. Because that's how I went down that hill. I must have crashed like two dozen times. It was painful. I was frustrated. I was like, ah, skiing and I are done. But then as God would work it, a few years later, I took a group of students to West Virginia to go skiing. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to try this one more time. And I actually did pretty well. And and God showed me three things through that. First, you're never too old to start out on the bunny slope. Second is to know your limits. But third is you can't let your past mistakes define you. See, when we sin, it is natural to feel guilt and shame. As a matter of fact, guilt is a tool the Holy Spirit uses to prompt us to ask for forgiveness. However, God offers us complete forgiveness. Romans 8, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, says this, if you'll turn with me to Romans 8. Looking at verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And again, we see in verse 37, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God says you're more than a conqueror, not a failure. Uh, Jim Elliott, I don't know if any of you know who he is, but he was a missionary to a group of natives in Peru. Uh, He and four of his fellow missionaries were trying to reach an indigenous group of people when they were all killed by those people. But this is one of the things that he said, most laws condemn the soul and pronounce sentence. The result of the law of my God is perfect. It condemns but forgives. It restores more than abundantly what it takes away. You see, neither our successes nor our failures define us. What God says about us is what defines us. And He says that we're more than conquerors, that we're children of a king, that we're a prince or a princess that we are loved. So then what does a restored life look like? I believe the restored life is a life that reflects Jesus. I believe a restored life is a life that has compassion on other people. I believe a restored life is a life that doesn't care what people in this room think of them or anywhere else in the world think of them because they're too focused on what God thinks about them. But why does it matter if I'm restored or not? Isn't it just my business? Well, it's not because ever since the Garden of Eden, sin has separated us from God. And sin is a tool that Satan uses to steal, kill, and destroy. But for those of us who are called by Jesus, he is restored to himself. We have the ability to be the light that shines in the darkness. to to reach those who are far from God and help draw them closer to him. The good news is it's never too late to make an impact. It's never too late to join Peter when Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Tend my sheep. You see, Peter had forgotten his purpose. He had gone back to fishing for fish when Jesus had called him to fish for men. Church, we have forgotten our purpose. We are to fish for men. And all of us today can take a first step in that. When you came in today at both campuses, on your seat with an invite card. If everybody could just grab that invite card, just kind of hold it up. Let me know that you got your invite cards. I want you to do a favor for me. I want you to take this card. I want you to put it in your pocket Put it in your purse. Put it somewhere where you won't lose it. And then I want you to pray that God would reveal to you today someone who needs to be restored. That this coming week that you'll run into somebody who needs to be restored. Here's the crazy thing. If you ask God for that, be ready. Because he will give you somebody this week for you to give that card to. Now listen, I know inviting someone to church doesn't mean they'll come to know Jesus. Jesus. But I know this, if they come here to Southcrest, they will definitely hear about Jesus. And what's more than that is they'll get to encounter people who themselves have been restored, who love on them and encourage them, and who want to be part of their lives. You see, we need to get back to what God has called us to, to fish for people. But some of you in this room today might be struggling with that concept because you yourself Might need to be restored. You might be saying, "I don't have to ask God who needs to be restored in my life," because that's me. Well, I have good news for you today as well. Today is the day. Today is the day to not let your past define you anymore, but to let God define you. He's ready. Are you? Let's pray.